Hello and welcome to the Debutante Report. Once again, my name is Michael Lung and today we've got something a bit different for you guys. We'll be talking to a very special guest. He is an Australian Olympian who recently competed in karate at the Tokyo Olympic Games. He is Australia's first ever karate representative to compete at the Olympics and he is none other than Sonari Yahiro. I'm so thankful to have been able to have Sonari on the podcast um, some of you might know that I used to train karate, and when I did, Sonari was one of my senseis. So it's great to see how far he's come in karate to be able to represent Australia on the world stage. It's really great to see. Um, Sonari and I had a really great chat about some of his experiences at the Olympics and his thoughts on karate as a whole, as well as his plans post-Olympics, which was really great to get into. Yeah, we love talking about strategy and competition here on the Debutante Report, so that was really great. Um, so without further ado, please enjoy my chat with Sonari. Welcome to the Debutante Report, Sonari. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Michael? Yeah, I'm going well. I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And also a huge congratulations on your achievement on um, competing at the Olympics. Obviously, first time karate being an Olympic sport and being the first Australian representative for karate must have been a huge achievement. You must have been very proud. Yeah, it was a good feeling. You know, like people, I think it's more the people around me kind of show you what you what it actually means like for me it was like I just I was just too busy training and trying to prepare for the games and it's still a little bit surreal for me like you kind of don't realize until afterwards but that's what everyone says like you know speak yeah. to everyone at the village and everyone's like kind of the same way so yeah I can imagine it must have been a super cool experience I just want to go right <laughs> back right back to the beginning um and what your story is getting to where you are now what was the journey like and when did it become apparent to you that pursuing a career as a professional athlete was possible? Well, well, I was only like, you know, training full time pretty much for the last year and a half. So until then, I was still, you know, amateur. So I was still working. There was zero funding from the Federation. So mm-hmm. I'll work, I'll save up, then I'll travel. And then, you know, I had a lot of family support and like people, a lot of the like clubs supporting me, which I was very fortunate. So, yeah, but it's, you know, to be able to, put 100% into what you want to do is, you know, it's, it's a great feeling, yes. Yeah, of course. Um, karate being quite a small sport in Australia at the moment, it was super great to be able to see that on the Olympic stage. Yeah, I just want to touch on, I guess, your experience on the Olympics away from the competition. You talked about the Olympic Village earlier. Just what was the feeling like in the village? Did you get to interact with some of the other athletes? And, yeah, just what was the vibes about being around so many professional athletes from so many different disciplines yeah the actual vibe of the village was really chill so mm-hmm. in the olympic village you have like every have apartments and each country kind of if you got a big contingent each country gets like apartments themselves yeah and then <clears throat> the australian olympic committee sets it up so downstairs in the basement there's like a gym recovery center on the ground floor you can like have food you can just like if you don't want to go to the cafeteria which is open 24 hours you can just <clears throat> get a lot of food at the Australian like headquarters and at downstairs there's like a barista <laughs> making coffee and yeah you can just like big tv so you just kind of sit there and just chill with the people and it really felt like home yeah it really felt like you're just in Australia at the village oh that's awesome like that's <clears throat> always a great vibe feeling like you're at home and yeah feeling really comfortable especially when I guess from an outside perspective you must have must have had a lot of pressure from I guess the media and, and the audiences at home as well 
Um, so yeah, great. Yeah, it was you. good. Like you know, the people, the team is so professional. Like yeah. So you ask for there's a lot of physios. You can get physio pretty much the next day or on the day. <clears throat> Soft tissue massage. Everything's at your like doorstep. So wow, that's mm. yeah, that's really great to think about. I mean, like yeah, super cool. Um, but yeah, going back to I guess the competition aspect. Obviously, Tokyo Olympic Games was very heavily COVID affected and um, crowds weren't allowed to be in in some circumstances. So, yeah, it must have been a very different experience, especially um, the weight of the event being the biggest event that there is being the Olympics. But the atmosphere would have been quite different considering something like something smaller, like the New South Wales State Championships would have had a bigger, I guess, physical atmosphere than something like the Olympics where there are no crowds. Um, Can you tell us what that experience was like and um, what it was like competing in front of no crowds? <laughs> well, I mean, you had <clears throat> all the athletes and coaches hmm. could watch. So you had like a certain amount of people watching. So it was, you know, it was quite nice. And, and normally like karate competitions, you don't get too much spectators. So hmm. unless you're like, you just have karate people watching. So it wasn't that much different for me. And once you're just competing, you're just in the zone. So you don't really <clears throat> think about the crowd. But it was just quiet, and I think just being that quiet made it like a show as well. Yeah, I, uh, without I the noise. So like, yeah, it was it was it was cool. Yeah, and then once you're competing, you just you, all that stuff doesn't matter. So yeah, I, I can definitely <laughs> I can definitely agree with you there. From my experience competing in these small karate competitions, you definitely <laughs> block out the noise from the outside. And whilst it might seem like there's heaps of people cheering for you, especially in these um, Australian competitions, like yeah, you just end up blocking out the noise, and it feels a bit. Like, it's just you out there and you're right in the zone. And I think if there was a crowd, it would have been, it's like a different vibe, but yeah. I would have enjoyed that sure. itself. But with the crowd, I enjoyed it as well, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it still would have been a really cool experience. Uh, getting mm. into getting into the competition now, like, you knew you were coming up against some of the biggest <laughs> fighters in the world, like Rafael Agaev, Luigi Busa, uh, Ken Nishimura, some names just to throw out there. Um, yeah, just how are you feeling going into the competition as a whole? Well, it was good, you know. I'd had the best preparation I could do. Yeah. You know, of course, if you, you know, if you say butts and butts, it never ends, like, because of all the restrictions. I couldn't travel, you know, all that stuff came into play. But for me, I had, like, a really good preparation. And, yeah, all I had to do is just show up. And if I, I knew that if I showed up mentally and physically, you know, I could have, yeah, I had a good chance. You know, it was, I was no, I wasn't there to lose pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really great to hear that, like, you as an athlete, you you knew what you had to do to prepare and how to get really ready both physically and mentally for the competition. Uh, many of the other athletes there would have probably been aware of your amazing kicking prowess and your kicking abilities is probably one of your biggest strengths. Um, did you feel like you had to adjust any of your fighting tactics um, following your first fight, knowing that uh, a lot of the competitors would have probably known about how you fought? Yeah, a little bit, but, you know, that's that's the same with me against them. Sure. Like, I know how they fight as well. So, we've, yeah. you know, we've competed against each other for the past five years. So, it's not, it's not like we just met at the Olympics. So Yeah, right. But, you know, kicking is my game. And, yeah, I just had to find a way to score my kicks. Yeah, you managed to you managed to score a couple of head kicks. I can say our family at home were super excited when you managed to pull those off. We were cheering so much when we were at home. It was really great to Thank see those much. Yeah. come off. Yeah, how did it feel to actually 
managed to score those kicks and would have been such a great feeling, hey? Yeah, it's good. You know, always kicking to the kicking is a good game <laughs> and it's a good feeling. But yeah, but while you're in the moment, you're just you're just in the moment and that's it. You can't, yeah, you can't think of it too long. You just mm. got to start focusing to the yeah. next, like on the fight. So yeah, it's like two seconds of happiness and you just kind of focus, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can still say it was, it was spectacular to watch. Um, for many of the bouts, though, not just not just your own, points seem to be a bit hard to come by um, and weren't as awarded as freely as probably what we've seen in other competitions. Um, what do you think this could be put down to, considering every fighter there would have probably, yeah, probably an expert at scoring points, including yourself? So, yeah, how do you, how do you find those points not getting scored as, I guess, freely? I guess if it was like... Um consistent i don't think there is an issue with that right okay and but i think like i think the stats were like 70 percent of the points scored came from video reviews right that's interesting yeah so i think that itself kind of shows there's like a there is work to do in the judging system i think yeah okay yeah i think like yeah i think that pretty much is that's the answer like when you kind of see where there's so much points being scored like when the coaches have to and the athletes have to do so much to get the points and the judge is not seeing it or not awarding it. I think that just shows like the, ref- the judging system needs more work. Sure. Yeah. And I think they need to work towards like minimizing the video reviews happening mm. so much. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was definitely yeah. an aspect, like there was definitely an aspect that I found to competition that was different from what I've seen before. Um, yeah. I just want to touch on that refereeing again, just because, some points that I thought would have been scored weren't scored and vice versa. Some points that I thought didn't score or end up getting scored, um, especially because maybe the target was a little bit different. And like what I found a bit um, interesting was that um, if an opponent moves slightly with their head, even if the attack would have scored just from that head movement, it seemed like judges weren't awarding the point. I don't know. It just seemed a bit strange to me. And um, yeah. How did you find, did you find you had to adjust your, um, attacking technique to make sure you did score points or yeah what did you think no, not that? really i think yeah it was for for us athletes it just if it doesn't score you just kind of keep going sure okay and yeah it's not yeah it wasn't too much what we all like think about like i saw the first day of competition and i didn't for me personally i didn't have too much of an issue hmm. like yeah right. so i just kind of say okay they're not giving it easily so you're just going to be on the money i think yeah. Okay. Yeah. It definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely seemed like they really wanted something specific from the referee's perspective in terms of what they wanted to score. Yeah, I think the referees are under a lot of pressure as well. So yeah, sure. Like being, uh, you know, being the first time in the Olympics, and I think that to try and set a standard that was quite high, and yeah, maybe that didn't work good for the sport, like in terms of too many video reviews. Yeah, and sure. I think as a public, they want to see more scoring than less scoring. So maybe that was like a hard way, a hard thing to balance. And I think they're just going to look back and kind of work on it afterwards, I think. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to touch on something as well. Probably one of the main talking points from karate at the Olympics on the whole, the over 75 kilos men's kumite final. Um, (laughs) It was a very controversial decision in that Saudi Arabian fighter, in what in my opinion was a very clean kick to the head, ended up injuring his opponent and um, ended up getting him disqualified just from over contact. What do you think this, I guess, with karate on the world stage, did this have an impact on how many casual viewers would have viewed the sport or 
Um, yeah, what did you think of the outcome? Oh, well, that's a you know, it's a bit, it's a hard question to get an answer around. But you gotta understand, like I think karate was the first time it was kind of shown to the public, right? Yeah, like where it was like globally aired, and until now, only karate people kind of watched karate, like not many public people viewed into karate. So the rules were made by karate people to suit the karate people. So when, but when the public looks at it, it's a different story. So being like a combat sport, you say, oh, how can the person who knocks the other guy out lose? Yeah. But at the same time, karate WKF sells itself to the public being, you know, we, it's like controlled and not too much contact. So it's safe. So when you, you know, when your dojo talks about karate, they talk about that all the time. So it's kind of controversial. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but as a public, you look at it and say, oh, how can the person who knocked the guy out win? But by the rules, the judges couldn't do anything. Yeah. So, you know, like I said before, like it's a good opportunity for karate, I think. So when you look at it, obviously there's something wrong. When the public views it as wrong, it's wrong. And I think they need to take that feedback and they need to develop new rules to kind of make it more easy for the public to understand. You look at all the other sports like judo, taekwondo, wrestling, like the rules have changed so much over the course of being an Olympic sport because they have to adjust it because the public view it. And I think karate started this like 20 years, 50 years to be, you know, later than the other sports. So I think it's a good opportunity for karate. And if it wants to stay relevant as a sport that can be viewed by the public, I think the rules need a big change. And I think it was a good wake up for for karate because, you know, having it done on Olympic stage like that kind of just shows they need, needs a lot of work and they do or they don't is a different story. But I think they should start working towards like making, you know, drastic changes to the rule. Yeah, it- I can see there's a bunch of different perspectives on karate at the moment. And it's great to hear your opinions as well. Um, Great to hear your perspectives there. Yeah, obviously competing at the Olympics would have been such a cool experience. Um, What was the most enjoyable part of, yeah, your experience as a whole? Oh, just fighting. (laughs) Just (laughs) It's what you've been doing for so long. Yeah, competing at the games. Yeah, it's what I trained for for the last five years and, yeah, it's good to kind of get to what you actually worked for. You know, yeah. not many people, you know, get to achieve it in life as a whole. So to be able to set a goal and to be able to achieve it is something that I'm proud of, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can say um, definitely from my family's perspective and I'm sure from a lot of fans around Australia, they would have been super proud to see you on the Olympic stage. Yeah, like I said before, it was great to see you compete out there and um from knowing you for quite some time now it's yeah it it was great to see you out there competing once now the the olympics are officially done and dusted um what's coming up for you next um obviously uh i'm retiring yeah competition yeah Yeah. any plans for retirement and what's going on after that oh i'm not too sure like well i know that for a fact that you can't go from 200 to zero to quit so i need like a bit of like a detox process to kind of get this competition kind of athlete me slowly down and just become just like a normal, just karate karate or karate practitioner. 
Yeah. And just wind down and just keep training. I want to stay in shape. I want to keep moving and help the young kids while yeah, I can. Of course. I think it's like a, you know, it's part of my job to be able to pass down my knowledge and what I've learned over the years to the next generation. And I think I'll just do that personally for a bit, like just help the kids that I know and try and give them a more easier pathway to the top. Yeah, sure. Just on that, what kind of advice do you think you'd give to some young aspiring Australian karateka coming up? What mindset should they have? How should they be preparing and training? Yeah, what's some advice that you give to them? Well, I think a lot of the things Australian kids hear all the time is like, oh, Australia's away. We don't get the experience. We don't get, you know, we're such a disadvantage compared to Europe or the rest of the world. But I think the moment you make that excuse, you've already lost. So I want the kids to, you know, that's a lesson that I learned from when I was talking to one of the athletes at the World World Games. You know, he's like a legendary guy. And I was saying, oh, I don't get, you know, good training partners or competition too far away. And he just said, you know, don't make that excuse. And that was a big wake-up call for me. He goes, yeah, if you set, if you have a good mindset and if you set your own standards high and you have good visualizations, you know, you can make it. And I think that's that's the truth. So I want these kids to not make that an excuse. And if you train hard and if you really want it, it's possible. And yeah, and if they just reach out to me and I can help them out. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's great to hear, Scenario. I definitely know that you definitely have that professional athlete mindset and it's definitely a testament to where you got to where you are now. So yeah, that's really great to hear. Um, I think it's about time we jump into some quick fire questions, if that's all right with you. Yeah, so first question, why do you love karate and where does this passion come from? Well, I kind of yeah, think about it every now and then, but I don't think there is no reason when you love something. Right. That's yeah, I just I just love it and there is no there is no distinct reason. And I think that's the same for all the other athletes or professional sports. You like you just you just love it. There is no other way to explain yeah. it. Yeah, there is no, you know, actual fuel for my fire. It's just I just love playing sport i'm just competitive yeah yeah that is like that is my drive for like being a competitor like i hate losing so that that's my drive for being you know to aspire in competition like the fear of losing and the hate of losing is bigger than like the actual joy of winning but then yeah, for, for karate itself like there is no reason i think i just i just love it and when you love something i don't think there's no reason for it yet yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's I think it's the same with you with cricket, right? Yeah, you it's pretty cricket. similar. <laughs> Just love the competitive yeah, aspect. Yeah, there it. is no, there is no reason, is there? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. Um, same question. What did you want to be when you were younger? When you grew up? I think my dream around sixteen when I did the first junior worlds. That was when it became apparent that I really wanted to become a world champion. But until then, I was just vague. Like as a 15, 14, 15 year yeah. old, it was like. Just pulling along life every day, <laughs> you know, not to not want to study but play with friends, but yeah, yeah that was sure. it. And then from 16, that just be my goal. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Who is your favorite elite sports person and why? Well, I got a couple. So one is um so Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, as a he's the professional boxer, now a you know, prize YouTube fighter. But <laughs> Um, other than that like people like Michael Jordan and Kobe are my favourite athletes I think Floyd Mayweather is the fact that he is he is just a winner 
you know, he'll, he knows that winning in terms of history books, you know, no one's going to look at who he fought or how he fought in the long run, but he knows that winning is everything and he did everything to win. And I, and I respect that. Yeah. And then people like MJ and Kobe, I just think they're like phenomenal athletes. Right. Like when you look at sports like NBA, where you have the phenomenal athletes playing and to stay at the top of that game for a long time, you just got to be so professional, so competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think they're just great people. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Next question. What is your favorite memory slash fright from your, from any karate competition that you've had? I think in terms of competition, I think nothing's going to top this Olympic Games in my in my life. But in, yeah. my, in terms of experience with the team and everything, the World Games 2009 in Taiwan yeah. was the most fun. We had like such a great team. We had like such a great time. And I just, I still remember that day. Yeah. It was, it was just fun. Like, yeah, we just had a great team. We just had a great time. Yeah. Is there a favorite fight that stands out to you from any of your bouts that you've had? I think the bronze medal match at the World Games in 2013 in Colombia. Hmm. was was a great one and the junior world's bronze medal match yeah in 2003 can you you tell us a bit about those fights well the first bronze medal match in 2003 was the was junior worlds and that was just like to be able to fight for a bronze medal on my first junior worlds was a good great experience and then i was a bit i didn't know the world too much so i had to fight a boy from azerbaijan which is a karate powerhouse now yeah but at the same time like at that time i didn't know even what the country azerbaijan was and in my head i was like i can't lose a country that i don't even know yeah and then (laughs) i fought him and i kind of like i scraped the win and after that i kind of realized that he was like the european champion wow like yeah he was like the mediterranean champion and i looked back and i was like oh azerbaijan's (laughs) a good country yeah and yeah, and that got me on the podium. Yeah, that was like a really great fight. And the World Game 2003, 2013 in Colombia was was great. But that time we had like a really packed crowd, and I and I came back down from three nil wow. to four three in like the last thirty seconds. Oh, amazing! Yeah, and then the, <laughs> yeah, and the crowd was quite quite electric. So that was good. Yeah, good yeah. memories. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds like some really great experiences there. Mm-hmm. And just a final, I guess, um, fun question. Do you have any hobbies or special talents? Well, I don't have much special talents. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So but my hobby is like, I just like collecting fragrance and stuff because I oh, travel right. so much. So just on duty free. So yeah, nice. I've got too much. And like past few years, I haven't been able to add too much to my collection. So I might add a few more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you must have like stacks of stacks of different fragrances from all your traveling, which is... Yeah, so really it's cool. just my hobby, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I guess your special talent must be kicking because like, yeah, <laughs> amazing, legendary kicker in yourself, Sarari. So That's I'd say that, that, that for you um, as one of your special talents. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Sonari, so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, is there a way for people to get in touch with you via your socials if you want to give it a quick plug right now? yeah just you know just search my name on instagram or facebook and you can add me yeah anytime just scenario hero just yeah you know message me you know tag you know just comment or something on my post and uh if you want me to reach out i'll reach out yeah awesome thanks Sonari, so much for coming on it's been great chatting to you 
No worries. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Wow, what a great chat that was. Like I said before, it's great to have someone of Scenario's caliber on the podcast and chat through some of his experiences competing at the highest level. Definitely go check out Sonari on his socials. He's doing some really awesome stuff on there. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Debutante Report. Who knows, we might have some more interviews coming up in the near future, so stay tuned on our socials for that. Yeah, it's crazy to think that not long ago I was just writing sports articles for fun and now we're here interviewing Olympic athletes, so it's absolutely crazy. Um, But until then, we'll see you next time. Have a good one, guys. Bye. (laughs)